Hi, I'm Alex Terranova, and welcome to season one of the Trailblazers of Coaching, a group of what we might call the founders of the coaching profession. Our goal, to introduce you to some of the leaders of this rapidly growing industry and to provide history, advice, training, and some humor for all the future Trailblazers of Coaching. Your host in season one is Christopher McCullough, master certified coach, founder of Accomplishment Coaching, and a leader in the field since 1996. Joining Christopher in season one are Rich Maxwell, a professional certified coach and leader in the field since 1996. Dr. Don R. Booz, an author, professional certified coach, master practitioner in neuro-linguistic programming with a background in marriage and family therapy. Larry Williamson, a master certified coach and author, and Dr. Patrick Williams, an author, speaker, master certified coach, and psychologist turned executive coach. Welcome to the Trailblazers of Coaching. Chapter two, the most difficult thing you've ever done. Picking up on what you said, you know, one of the things that we share is that we see relationship, or specifically marriage, as one of the most difficult things we've ever done. What are some of the most difficult things you've ever dealt with, done, or dealing with now? In terms of a relationship with the spouse? Really anything at all. Just the hardest thing you've ever done. I think that's, that's a difficult question because that's, I choose really not to focus on those things. If it's something that's difficult, I want to go in and, and I'm going to look at my role in it and I want to take care of it. I want to fix it right away and move on. So I, I really do look for uh, and all honesty, the, in my day-to-day, -day, I'm, I'm looking at what I'm doing, I'm looking at what I appreciate, I'm thinking about what I, what I have gratitude for. And that's, that's a driver of my day. So I don't ever look at it as, well, what's wrong? I, I, I don't go looking for that. But many people have pointed to the value of the shadow side, right, or looking yeah. at the negative. And people are really good at looking at the negative. So you just don't hang out? I, no, that's not an area that I choose to pursue. That's not where I, that's not where I want to drive my attention. Do you have any places that you let it out? Like, are you on a, a fierce on the golf course or do you do the ax throwing or and imagine the faces of your enemies? Or I think it through, it's one of the reasons I still do my yard work at home. Because I can get on a ride mode about three hours and I think about a lot of things. <laughs> I think it there it is. And then when I, when I get off, I'm, I'm in a good spot. You leave it in the water. Yeah, right. yeah. So when Caroline was diagnosed, what emotions did you experience? And how did you deal with those? It was, what can, I, what, you know, what can I do to support her right now? What is it she needs? No, 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 no. There. What emotions did you feel? Oh, I felt frustration. I felt fear. Fear was a big one because she's such an important aspect in my life. You know, your mind, if you're not careful, your mind begins to race. Or you're afraid of. A negative outcome and not having mm -hmm. care of mm -hmm. I mean, that's, and it, you know, so it, you, that ran across my mind and it, what, there was sure. a fear there. And then as soon as I do that, I understand if, if I'm feeling that way, my gosh, I wonder what it is she's feeling. But how did you process, how did you process all that emotion? So that you could move forward and be there for her and present for her. That it changes, crashing it. 
just no, it was it was really just on for five hours talking, instead of three. Yeah, talking that out with her though, talking that out with her and getting and putting it on the table and putting your emotions on the table. Yeah, saying I'm fearful. I'm I'm afraid you're going to die. I'm afraid. I'm angry. I'm angry. Okay, that, no, no, I, and I want to I want to turn that around. No, I don't have a. Uh, there was never a time I expressed a fear. I fear you're going to die. My, my expression was, what is it that we need to do to take us in a good direction? What is it we can do to prepare for healing? So, so I didn't, no, I did not go that way. And I would, uh, that's just me. I would not. Did you not go that way internally? Initially, yeah. like I said, yeah, initially out of fear. I mean, you may not express it to her. No. You had to have those Yeah, thoughts. but initially out of fear that's there. Yeah. But then, you know. But I'm you, gonna, you turn I'm gonna get up and start doing yeah, something. Right, right. And to do something, I want we we focused on healing. I focused on prayer. I focused on the healing uh, from you know that what God's gonna do, mm-hmm. and that's where it went. So my my faith really went through a lot of that because there was a lot of things that I turned over that I didn't need to worry about. I needed to be focused on partnership and being there for someone. Mm-hmm. And so I, I chose not to spend my time worried about those other things. And it turned out I didn't need to. You know, one of the most difficult things, not the most difficult, one of the difficult periods that Paige and I went through together was uh, my work situation in Los Angeles. Now, we were there 18 months in L.A., which was exactly a year and a half too long uh, for us. Uh, we just didn't like L.A. as a place to live. Um, but even beyond that, it was my work situation. Um, the the CEO was probably a sociopath or close to it. Um, and, you know, once you got... You're born, Patrick. Yeah. Once no, I agree. <laughs> that's what a yawn is. Once we got in the barrel, as my, my peers and I would call it, you know, it was just, it was awful. It was just, it was terrible. And, uh, you know, he said to me one day in his office, um, he was chewing on me about some aspect of my performance. And uh, he just, just suddenly turned and said, have you ever been to therapy? And I said, no. He says, I've been in therapy twice. It's really good stuff. Tell you what, you go find yourself a therapist, you know, health insurance will cover it and you just bring me the deductibles and co-insurance and I'll get that paid for you. Yeah. Why don't you send your wife too? Wow. Yeah. So fast forward about six months and this is uh, five days before I left. We're in his office and he's just angry beyond words. Well, he was never beyond words, but he was very angry with me. And he finally turned to me and said, so what does your therapist say about this? And I said, well, frankly, Russ, that's none of your business. Well, he figured he bought and paid for it. You know, he, he fired me on the spot. Whoa. He said, that's it. You're, you're fucking fired. Get out of here. And I was, I was stunned. I mean, I just, I don't handle that kind of confrontation Whoa. well at all. And I was just dumbfounded. And I just sat there. Yeah. And... You know, he took a breath, said, okay, you're not fired. Well, you take the weekend and think about this. And you do the same. <laughs> so I left, got in my car, 
drove home and, you know, the, the thought process was, okay, look, you know, I, I'm better than this. I can make this work, you know, and this was a conversation I've been having for months in my own head. Um, I walked in the door and I lost it. I just looked at Paige and I just, I told her what happened. I said, I'm a failure. I, you know, and oh, she was so angry, not me, at Russ. She says, Rich, you are not a failure. I mean, she just sat there and held me for about 15 or 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. So I cried myself out. And we spent, we actually ended up calling my parents. This was a very interesting transaction because I really didn't want my mother to come. But my dad was, at that point, he was um, a medical director in a mental health center. And mm-hmm. uh, so we, we called and told him what was going on. And, and my mother said, well, we can come out there if you want. And I said, well, I'd really like for dad to come. Mm. <laughs> so I let my father handle that with my mother, but dad came. He was, he caught a flight that night from, wow. from Charleston to LA. And, um, you know, mm. he was just present for me. He didn't try to counsel me. If I wanted to talk, we talked, if we didn't, he didn't. And, you know, I went on Monday and, but I got clear in my conversation with Paige and with my dad mm. that this was, this was a toxic situation. I had yeah. nothing to gain by staying and a lot to lose like my own sanity. And I walked in on Monday morning and I said, I'm done, you know? And I tell you the story because I, the way I handled those emotions, to go back to, I was kind of pressing you on what were you feeling and the emotions was I shared those with Paige. Yeah. And, you know, she had her own emotional reaction to it, which curiously was really encouraging, you know, to see her be angry at him, which is something I couldn't do at that point because yeah. I was so, beaten down myself. That's what I'm hearing. Yeah. She, she held the anger. Yeah, she, she really did. And then dad came in and was this calming influence and, and held us both in a way and really prepared us. We, that 36 hours that he was there before I drove back in on Monday morning um, was, you know, you gather that family close to you and you get what you need so that you can yeah. then start moving into action and doing the things that you have to do to move forward. Yeah. What I hear and appreciate with that, though, is the fact that you were still realizing it was your choice. And after having that uh, that incredible time with both your father and, and with Paige, you made a choice that, that was not a good fire. Well, I was going to get fired on Monday morning yeah. anyway. Okay. Well, <laughs> At least I could say it was my choice. Yeah, when yeah. I think about that, because how many times do you do you work with people who one of the things they do, again, self-limiting beliefs, is I don't have a choice. Yes, you do. You always have a choice. But what's, what's the consequence? Okay, can you deal with that? And if you can, that's the question. It's not a choice. It's the consequences. I can choose this because there's nothing you really have to do. What you I just noticed, have to accept the consequences of it. Yeah. What I noticed, Larry, is that one, uh, and I noticed this yesterday when we were talking, is how much your conversation is telling other people what to do. I'd love to learn more about you and especially challenges that you've had. I noticed that you're like the good news guy or the great advice guy. Is is there something that you're willing, and you don't have to do it right now, but I'd love to hear more about any conflicts you've had or any issues that... Well, the things like I talk about, about are a result of me having conflicts. I see. That's what it is. It's it, it is... And, and, Again, it's that you know that statement that 
wherever you are, whoever you're talking with and whatever you're saying, there's always one person that's always listening and that's yourself. So whenever I do that, I'm speaking to myself far more probably than I am the other person. Okay, so what's the hardest thing? Hardest thing's been Carol's illness. What's something else that you struggled with? Ever gotten fired? No. Got divorced. Yeah, divorced. That was a very that's like that was one of the most painful and difficult things. And that's another reason why I focus so much on relationship and the positive aspect. Because it was difficult and I had two young children. And it was but maybe disappointing to you, I kept that positive approach to a lot of that stuff because that's what I wanted to share with the children. That's what I wanted to be for them to see. But again, yeah, that's difficult. But it's kind of like it's it's a place to visit, but I choose not to live there. I'm going to deal with something, then I'm going to move on. I'm going to learn a lesson from it, and then I'm going to move on. And I think that far too many people want to stay there for too long. Why do we spend so much time trying to figure out what's the hardest part? What, what's so hard? What's so difficult? What's so... Because that's what we're going to focus on. And that's just not... Per, you know, for me, it works for me to choose not to be there. I'm going to look at well, what's the benefit of this? What direction can I go with it? What do I need to do with my <clears throat> behavior to, to, to bring something better? Again, that may not be for everyone, but it works for me. I think eventually anybody who moves forward has to do that. There's some sense of positive motivation that pushes them forward. You know, as we were talking about transitions on Friday, you know, if you spend your time looking back at what happened at the end of whatever was the end, you're going to wallow in it. And that's an awful place to be. You may move through this neutral zone, this foggy area. not quite knowing where you're going, but you, there's some sense of belief that, okay, there's something out there for me. You know, I mean, I found this after I left Los Angeles, we drove, I drove back East by myself. It was great. I loved mm-hmm. it. Had a T-top Firebird, man. I just went straight across country. Yeah. Um, CV. But, uh, yeah, right. you know, the, um, there is some positive motivation that's going on there, yeah. that there is a future, that I will survive this, that there's something out there. Um, you know, because I, but there are times, there have been times in my life where that negative period lasted a long time. What about you? You guys been quiet for a while. And the question again was tough time, tough, hardest thing. Yeah, well, the divorce of my first marriage was hard because. It was good and bad. She left me with two daughters. And part of me was like, yeah, you know, um, but it was hard with them. Uh, I didn't get blaming her and get all that negativity, but it was like I knew they were hurt. I mean, they didn't see her for a while. So that was hard for me. It's hard when I think about it now. And I don't think I handled it very well with my daughters for the next two years. It was okay. They say now he's a great dad, you know, oh my God. But um, then when I met my second wife three years after that divorce, it was like the girls kind of, okay, okay. But then deciding to move to Florida was like, ooh, wasn't good. Megan's in college. Brianna's finished high school. That was stupid. Looking back, 
you know, it's the wrong time to go. So it was hard dealing with the repercussions of that, especially my younger daughter. She felt abandoned and struggled with that. And then the second hardest time, I think was good and bad, was um, Jill and I had so many great times. And yet when her son started getting down and then when he died, her drinking went up and her personality changes became unbearable. Then she quit. You know, so five well, it would be seven years ago now. She quit drinking and then quit smoking. I was like, God, this is great. Relationship got great. And then she died. So it was like, mm -hmm. that was hard. <laughs> yeah. What did you learn? What did I learn? What I'm still learning. Um, Are we all? Mm-hmm. Neither relationship was what I wanted. Mm -hmm. And my daughters are great. <laughs> Good. You know. So nice job, Dad. Yeah. Yeah. And what'd you learn? What I learned? Yeah. That my daughters are great. Yeah. <laughs> now that I, I did okay with mistakes and everything, they still, they, they both have a different perspective. Megan said, well, I was there. I didn't see Brianna saw like two and a half years apart. I said, well, no, you never do. Um, but I've learned that things are good now with them. Um, I have a hole in my heart that's yearning for something. Mm -hmm. What do you think it's yearning for? The relationships that I never had, <laughs> a better relationship with um, the appreciation and the conversation and the friendship, extreme, you know, um, predictably, not like occasionally. Yeah. Thanks for sharing. Yeah, thanks for digging. <laughs> <laughs> That's what he does. <laughs> Freud. <laughs> Um, yeah, on, on the same question, because um, I was thinking about how I would answer that question that you just asked, Pat. And, um, you know, I mean, the, the, the toughest time of my life was the death of our son. Yeah. And, you know, that hurt for a long time because um, the end came abruptly, as I've described before. And, uh, you know, there was a it's interesting, it was both a time that the family came together to support one another, and yet it was still very lonely. There was an isolation that was there because the way Paige handled it, the way Sarah Paige handled it, the way I handled it were all different. Not that there was anything was right or wrong, it was just different. And we all needed time by ourselves as well as time together. Um, and what I really came to learn, and that was when I rediscovered, or I sh no, it wasn't a rediscovery. It was the, the full recognition that one of my core values was family. It came out of that, that crucible. Yeah. Um, and the importance of that. Um, you know, seeing these people come together to support us, seeing the three of us come even closer than we already were to help ourselves get through this. Um, 
And now looking back on it six years later, the incredible resilience that I see in myself, I see in Paige, I see in Sarah Page, you know, is it's just, you know, it renews my faith in the human spirit and, uh, and the belief that whatever comes, we'll get through it. I'll get through it. And, you know, it'll be easier getting through it with having people around me who love me and who care about me and who I love and care about. Um, you know, it's, I think having that resilience is what gets you through the neutral zone. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Don, anything you want to contribute in there? No, she's been by for a while. Well, I always shared about putting my daughters in the psychiatric hospital and my mother putting her in a nursing home or assisted living. Um, those were tough times. But I, I think I sort of uh, look for learnings out of every struggle that I have. I have big and tiny struggles all the time. Uh, I embrace my shadow because I figured that's part of me, very young Ian. Um, and I ask myself, what can I learn from this situation? Uh, I still have amygdala hijacks. Um, amygdala hijacks, nice. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and um, they come in different times and different places, different waves and intensities. Yep. And I can't stop them. That just pisses me off. I'm kidding. <laughs> um, can we go watch your amygdala? <laughs> As a show, um, you're uh, you've got a really varied background, right? Can I just can I just do rapid fire with you? Sure. Hardest thing about being a chef, professional chef? Uh, coordination, getting everything ready at the same time. Oh, I feel that. Uh, hardest thing about being a bishop or a pastor? Two different uh, questions: bishop. And Almost the same answer, but dealing with idiots. And uh, <laughs> I, I think that uh, the church is great when there's a disaster or there's a need. But put them together and worship God and see how they act outside of the worship service. Under hypocrisy. hypocrisy. That was the hardest for me uh, because I dealt with that all the time. So it's like... Well, Pastor, I mean, we are we love the church and we love the people, but we need the first pew, not the second, but yeah. the first, that kind of stuff. Well, even as a bishop, I walked into a church one time, and they and I'm standing at the end, I'm speaking, you know, I'm in the bulletin, and it was announced in the newsletter, my wife's sitting here, and this guy and a woman come up and says, you're sitting in our seat. Wow. That's happened more than once, actually. Sorry, and I said, oh, I'm sorry, you're, you pay good money for this, we're a move. But uh, I think... Uh, my bishop friend in the Episcopal Church said, Don, you need to take a sabbatical from church. And I did. Took two years away. I'm, I'm back in church now, uh, and as a good friend of mine, uh, Neil, and I've known him for years. Um, and we go probably once a month. We still give our tithe, but I haven't seen you for a while. I said, well, you know, it gets above 80 degrees. <laughs> <laughs> or it's raining. <laughs> Football games on, Chiefs playing at noon. You won't see it. I mean, it's just sort of the way it is. Can I ask, and I've always wanted to ask this, and I think I as a bishop or pastor, were there higher expectations for you, did you feel, than there might be for for people in other career roles? I, I don't know. Okay. There were expectations. I don't know if they were higher or just different, probably. Certainly you had to cut out a bunch of your criminal activity. 
Thanks for hanging out with the trailblazers of coaching. Who's a coach or leader you know that needs to hear or see these episodes? Share it with one person today. We believe everyone is capable of success and is entitled to living a healthy, powerful, loving, and adventurous life. And we know that becomes even more possible through the power of coaching. We hope you enjoyed this episode, learned something, and you join us again. Maybe one day you will also become a trailblazer of coaching.